Atlanta News First investigates the largest investigative team in Georgia, holding the powerful accountable and fighting for you. Now, in this series of podcasts, we take you behind the scenes of our most recent investigations. Welcome to Behind the Investigation with Atlanta News First. Welcome to Behind the Investigation. I'm Chief Investigator Brendan Keefe with Atlanta News First, and I'm joined now by Sierra Cummings, our Murrow-winning investigative reporter with Atlanta News First. Good to have you here, Sierra. Good to be here. And today we're talking about facial recognition and more importantly, the dangers or problems with facial recognition, because essentially this technology that allows police to potentially identify suspects can actually wrongfully identify suspects. Is that right? That's exactly right. This is one of those unexpected stories for me. It hadn't really been on my radar, but we learned one of our local police agencies here at the time last year was considering getting this technology, and it seemed to be quite a lot of discussion on social media. So back then we learned about it in the summer of 2022. Fast forward to this year, um, we've got some data, we've got some interesting um, victims and how uh, using this technology could create racial disparities in arrests. A really interesting story. We follow three men who were arrested for crimes they didn't commit, but even more, what's more shocking is that they weren't even in the areas, the cities, the states that they were accused of being in. It's a great story, and we hope you learn something from it. Well, let's take a look, and on the back side, we'll talk about it. Georgia, New Jersey, Michigan. We're the police. Don't tell us settle down. Cases divided by hundreds of miles, threaded by a simple connection. A search for robbery suspects created a trail of victims. November 25th, 2022, DeKalb County police stop a car along I-20. The driver was Randall Reed. The 29-year-old was wanted. You got two theft warrants. They're both in Louisiana. So I'm going to have a subject in custody. It's going to be him. It would not be him. I swear to God, I ain't never been to Louisiana. I don't do nothing no like that. I who would you use your, who would get you involved? I don't know, because I got my license. I don't even know nobody in Louisiana. Randall had never been to the state, yet officers in two jurisdictions there accused him of stealing purses in Jefferson Parish and Baton Rouge. His attorneys say Louisiana law enforcement linked him to the crime he did not commit by using facial recognition technology. FRT is software that analyzes facial features, comparing one image to another to confirm a match or offer a limited set of results with similarities. At the time of Randall's arrest, neither he nor DeKalb PD knew Louisiana officers used the technology to ultimately issue warrants. How often does what happen? When it's not the right person? Uh, I never know if it's the right person. Put put your phone in your pocket. It was not the right person in this arrest either. No, I don't get to go in my house. No, no. And I got a warrant for retail fraud. Go home, settle down, bro. You want to go? I got a warrant for retail fraud. In January 2020, using facial recognition technology, Detroit police linked Robert Williams to this surveillance video. The video shows a man stealing watches from a Michigan jewelry store. Robert, his family, and attorneys allege in a lawsuit detectives failed to thoroughly investigate beyond using the software. Arresting me for absolutely no reason other than whatever 
you seen on a picture that that's not, it's not real. You could be doing every single thing right and still be arrested as if you've done something wrong. Right. They made a mistake, baby. It's okay. I'll be back in a minute. The father did not come back for days. And in New Jersey, it was about 10 days before Niger Parks came home. They don't do police work now with, with, with the facial recognition. Like, you just can't take the facial recognition and say, oh, the facial the computer said it was him, so it was him. February 2019, this scene unfolds outside a Woodbridge, New Jersey hotel. A suspect parked in a Dodge Challenger is accused of stealing from the gift shop. As officers are questioning the driver, he cranks up his car. The driver nearly hits police. Court documents reveal law enforcement later used facial recognition technology to run the actual suspect's fake license through the system. It falsely linked Niger to the crime he did not commit. Aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, shoplifting, eluding. My jaw just dropped. It was just like, huh? Like, where did you get all this from? All three jailed, all falsely matched, all black men. A national study finds FRT use contributes to greater racial disparities in arrests. The author, Dr. Thaddeus Johnson, is a professor at Georgia State University. And not only does he teach students about this, he trains police and he's a former officer. Had this technology been available to you 10 years ago or even today, if you were still an officer, would you use it? I mean, I probably would. But not as a final decision in a case. Dr. Johnson's study examines FRT deployment in more than 1,100 cities and subsequent arrests in 2016. The results show agencies which use FRT had a 55% higher arrest rate for black people and a 22% lower arrest rate for white people compared to agencies that did not use facial recognition. Bias can be embedded on the very front end. According to the report, contributing factors in racial disparities include black people are overrepresented in image databases like mugshot, so they carry a greater risk of being misidentified. Plus, the lack of racially diverse programmers to train and build these algorithms. Also, the absence of federal guidelines to interpret these results and finally, the psychological effect of workers relying on shortcuts for time-sensitive, high-stakes decisions. More recent data by the National Institute of Standards and Technology reveals FRT has a wide range in accuracy across developers. For example, systems created in China have more accuracy in identifying Asian faces. Additionally, when it came to U.S. databases, the highest false positives were in people of color, Indian, African-American, and Asian. We can use this technology, but we can't do it at the expense of inequity and discriminatory policing, whether it means we're not. Absolutely fascinating, uh, Sierra. And these racial disparities, I mean, it's obviously far more than would be possible with chance, especially when we're talking about these wide disparities in percentages. So essentially, the technology becomes biased because of the input. There's an old saying in computers, gigo, garbage in, garbage out. If you put, you know, the wrong 
sort of prompts in, you're going to get wrong results. Is, does that appear to be what happened here? Yeah, you're exactly right. Sean said it yesterday after we ran this story on air that we have to remember these systems are created by humans and we all have unconscious or subconscious bias. So it's not surprising uh, to some people. It's surprising that we're able to kind of prove it in this way and to really illustrate the trends. Um, but to know that these systems have some kind of racial bias embedded on the front end as the experts said it's not shocking to quite a few people. I do want to note, though, we were able to confirm that tech company involved in the local Atlanta arrest. And a spokesperson told me they actually encourage law enforcement to just consider results as a tip or an anonymous lead, something that they have to vet. But the issue here is that we found a lot of uh, law enforcement agencies around the country that are using this they often don't have a policy or the policy they have doesn't really have clearly defined standards. So that's when it gets really tricky and that's when it kind of murkies the water of trust in policing. Well, let's take a look then at the second part of your report, which covers those policies or lack thereof in local police departments. Let's take a look. Georgia, New Jersey, Michigan, cases divided by hundreds of miles, cases threaded by a simple connection. Facial recognition technology was used to wrongfully link a black male to a crime he did not commit. FRT is software that analyzes facial features comparing one image to another. November 2022, DeKalb police arrests Randall Reed in Atlanta. You got two theft warrants. They're both in Louisiana. The 28-year-old was wanted out of Jefferson Parish and Baton Rouge for stealing purses, except he'd never even been to the state. I swear to God, I ain't never been to Louisiana. I don't do nothing no like that. I who would you use who would get you involved? I don't know, because I got my license. I don't even know nobody in Louisiana. I'm asking, where is he exactly? Two years before this happened in 2020, Detroit police came to cuff Robert Williams outside his Michigan home. Oh, settle down, bro. Police use facial recognition to link the father to the crime in this surveillance, a man stealing watches from a jewelry store. Robert, his wife, and attorneys allege in a lawsuit detectives failed to thoroughly investigate beyond using the software. Arresting me for absolutely no reason other than whatever you've seen on a picture that that's not, it's not real. In 2019, similar story for Niger Parks. Woodbridge, New Jersey officers using the technology to link Niger to stealing from a hotel gift shop and trying to take off in this car, nearly hitting police. Ah! Wait, he took off! He took off! He took off! My jaw just dropped. It was just like, huh? Wait, where did you get all this from? All three jailed, all black men, and in each case, it appears the agencies which use the facial recognition did not follow an agency policy because one did not exist or what did exist had no clearly defined standards, lawsuits claim. They have to have probable cause to issue a warrant for your arrest. We found in the case where Randall Reed was arrested in Atlanta for theft charges, neither Louisiana law enforcement agency followed a facial recognition policy because neither had one on record. Just two people that look alike. That is not proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Cobb County Chief Stuart Van Hooser just implemented the program, but also a six-page policy. Only nine staff out of 1,000 are authorized to use it. Two reasons for that. Number one, the training is easier to do with a small number of people. 
And number two, accountability. Accountability starting with how they match photos. It is not a match, and that's not the terminology uh, we use. Uh, to us, it's a lead. While some departments consider results a match, Cobb County Police Captain Darren Hole argues it should be treated simply as a tip, something officers must vet. This technology is moving forward. Based on Cobb's regulation, specialists must follow six steps. Software-based comparison first, then human-based comparisons next, essentially having investigators study the images with their own eyes, peer review by supervisors, investigation to search for corroborating evidence. Back to a supervisor once again, only then can it go before a judge for a warrant in which detectives also disclose to the judge they use facial recognition. I would use facial recognition with any criminal act because I trust it. I don't trust it to make a case for me. I trust it to open doors of investigations for us. It's fascinating, again, to see how they're using it in Cobb County. And the idea is to have checks and balances and to only use the technology, as they said, as as sort of a lead rather than as some sort of you know, this is the guy. Yeah, it's important because, again, these policies are kind of hit or miss. You saw in some of these cases here, they didn't have the policy or what existed wasn't really thorough. So all of the men in this story who were wrongfully accused, wrongfully arrested and spent days in jail, they want to see facial rec- recognition technology banned. I, I do think that's unlikely, just my opinion. We It's an emerging technology. We are growing as a nation, as um, really across the globe, like all the things that we use to kind of help with policing, to kind of help with any kind of organization or company. So the reality of it being banned, I I don't know how likely that is, but the point that they're trying to make is right now for them, it feels just unready. If you can't put a policy in place at the very least locally at a police agency, if you can't put one in place at the state level, and if there isn't one at the federal level, maybe let's hold off on it. So it'll be interesting to see how some of these agencies respond to this. Obviously, we've got Cobb County here. They had their three-year contract approved um, at the end of December of last year. They did not start using the technology until they created this policy. As I mentioned, they're a six-page policy. And the interesting nugget here is that when I talked to the chief, Chief Stuart Van Hooser, he said, Well, we looked at cases around the country that were already publicly out there and what went wrong, what could have been done better. And so then we went to the drawing board. We were like, okay, what should we put in our in our policy? And so that started with who's allowed to use this? Not everyone in the agency can nine of the 1000 people and then. Plenty other steps, as I mentioned there, investigating, corroborating evidence. You know, there are so many people uh, who've been wrongfully convicted long before this technology because they, quote unquote, fit the description. Um, and there's so many stories of implicit bias that, you know, you match the description and the description is simply skin color and a hoodie. Uh, and we've seen that time and time again. And then, of course, later exonerated. Um, And, you know, in our justice system, you have a right to face your accuser. But if your accuser is a computer algorithm, how do you face your accuser? And while this technology is incredibly powerful and we want law enforcement to have these tools, 
they have to be used responsibly, don't they? They have to be. I mean, to the point that you're making, a really good section of the story is when we show the image of Niger Parks himself, his true picture, and then the driver's license of the actual suspect who had a fake ID. And you compare those images, and depending on who I ask, I talk to my sisters, I talk to my mom, I talk to friends, and depending on who I ask, they would say, oh, those people look exactly alike. And sometimes it's not anything to do with implicit bias. It really is just the eyes, you know? Like some people see one thing, some see another. And so it's not just enough to say, hey, two people look alike, let's move forward with that. Or two people look alike to me, let's move forward with that. You need to have, um, as you mentioned, checks and balances. So maybe that's the starting point. Hey, these two people look alike. The system, the computer system says they look alike, but what else can we find along the way to either disprove or prove that this is our suspect? And sometimes it's also as simple as an alibi. Just asking questions, were there witnesses around? Right. What do these witnesses say? Sometimes we gotta move beyond the technology. But should I have to prove myself innocent? I mean, you're innocent until proven guilty, exactly. not guilty till proven innocent. And these men that you profiled uh, were profiled by the system and uh, they had to prove themselves innocent, which is which is upside down. Another important point is the standard of proof. So I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but we deal a lot with the law. Um, the lowest standard of proof is reasonable suspicion. That's, you know, more than a gut feeling something an officer can articulate. That's usually what's used as the standard of proof for a stop. The next level is the standard of proof for an arrest, which is probable cause. And then in the criminal spectrum, the next standard of proof is beyond a reasonable mm -hmm. doubt. In the civil world, there's also preponderance of the evidence and clear and convincing in the middle there. But this is a sort of spectrum, if you yeah. will. And probable cause is down near the bottom. So yeah. officers don't need a lot uh, to be able to essentially take someone's freedom and then they have to prove themselves innocent. Yeah, and every agency is different. We didn't put it in this story because there's only so much we can put in this story, but we had a really long conversation with, with multiple people in leadership in Cobb County. And the chief said it um, as he was talking about probable causes, as you mentioned, the spectrum. From his perspective, two people looking alike or facial recognition technology giving them results from his perspective and their agency perspective, that's not even mm -hmm. enough for mm -hmm. probable cause. And so it goes back to at least how some of these facial recognition companies say they pitch the technology to agencies. They're saying, hey, we, we never say like, this is bulletproof, this is absolutely right. We instead want you to treat it like anonymous tip in the same way that if someone called your police agency and said, I think I saw person A, can I talk to you about it? And then that officer has to then investigate. They're saying that's what the system should be, that you've got a starting point, but it shouldn't be enough to close a case. And I thought the last soundbite that we ended on, it really spoke to that, that, you know, this agency is using FRT for any kind of crime, whether it's serious or not. Um, and the reason why is because they feel like their policies allows them to kind of have checks and balances and that the FRT is not going to close the case for them. It's not going to solve the case for them, but it is going to open the doors of investigations for them. You know, we have an old saying in investigative reporting. If your mother tells you she loves you, check it out. Check it out. You know, my we, mom we hates verify that everything. She well, really does. <laughs> well, mom knows. She, mom knows you love her. Um, but, you know, it does uh, actually it made me ask the question um, that I don't know the answer to. Maybe you can help answer this. Were the actual perpetrators 
who were the real men who were, you know, not mistakenly identified, the others were, were any of them caught? Uh, that is unclear. A lot of these cases are still ongoing, open cases at the police department, but also civil cases. So that's yet to be um, determined. But one thing is for sure, it wasn't the fact that police were able to find the true suspect and go arrest them. And that's why the people were released. It was simply because after they got lawyers involved, an additional interrogation was done. Then ultimately, these fathers and these young men were able to say, hey, actually, I was not in this city at all. I was not even miles close to this city. I was actually over here this day. Um, and, and they so had receipts and they things had like all that. All those yeah. things. And the interesting thing is, in um, I believe two out of the three cases, they didn't immediately know that facial recognition was used against them. They're trying to figure out, hey, wait, why am I arrested? Yeah. Why is there a warrant out for retail theft, for shoplifting and eluding? And it isn't until they've already spent some time in jail, then they've got their public defender or their actual criminal defense attorney. And then those attorneys are able to find out, oh, wait, they're saying they use this to get you here. And then, then the wheels kind of start turning in the victim's mind. Oh, that absolutely doesn't make sense. I can give you the receipts to show you where I was Thursday, November 20. 5th or whatever day. Yeah, I mean, police and prosecutors aren't required to tell you the evidence against you until they're prosecuting you. And that's in what they call the discovery phase. And it's called Brady material, which is a, it's because of a case mm -hmm. named Brady, where they're required to give you potentially exculpatory evidence um, so that you can use that to defend yourself. But that's way down the process. And that doesn't help if you're already incarcerated or have spent time in jail for a crime you didn't commit. Yeah, it doesn't help. But one thing that could is the transparency that would come from policies like, let's say, Cobb County, even if after they do all of the, the five steps of the six steps, when they go before a judge to kind of, you know, get that warrant or request a warrant, they then have to tell the judge, yeah, we did all this additional investigation to corroborate some kind of evidence, but we also use facial recognition technology. And I think arming a judge or arming the decision makers um, with information and transparency, that kind of is another step along the way that could have these checks and balances and, and minimize the disparities in arrests. And ultimately changing people's lives because, I mean, it's no secret that communities of color experience a level of mistrust or distrust with policing. And you don't need like one more thing to kind of throw a wrench in that. Yeah. And the, the way, and just at least the examples you showed, the way some of these falsely arrested people were treated by police, um, you know, it, it, they were treated as though they were guilty. They were. Mm -hmm. And I would say the exception of those three cases was in DeKalb County. Mm -hmm. And what makes that case stand out, other than it being local here, is that DeKalb County also didn't know, okay, they're arresting someone on a warrant, and they didn't know that they were doing it um, at the, the fault of facial recognition technology. So even in that body cam, as I was watching, we played as much as we could, but as I was watching it myself, it's, it's about an hour, I thought the police officer really treated him differently compared to the mm -hmm. other two cases. He seemed to be open to listening to Randall Reed, who he arrested, saying like, hey, I've never been to Louisiana. And you hear the officer say, well, who would use your name? Who has your license? And so right. I would say that case out of the three in total was a little different because it seemed like he was actually treated as if he were he was innocent. Wow. Sierra Cummings, another great investigation. Knowing you, I know you're probably not going to stop with these two stories and we expect you to stay on it. And I will. Thanks for having me. All right. You've been watching Behind the Investigation. I'm Chief Investigator Brendan Keefe with Atlanta News First.